0: Hey there, Andrea here. I'm so excited because I have such an awesome guest on the show today. I'm curious though, do you throw yourself into other people's lives or you lose yourself as a result or do you pick the wrong partners or maybe you find yourself staying in relationships longer than you should? Now, Sometimes we find ourselves in dating desperation because we don't want to be alone. All these things kind of show up for us in many ways. And I am so excited because I have the author of Love Smacked on the show. This is a book all about how to stop the cycle of relationship addiction and codependency so that we can finally find everlasting love. So we are going to talk about love addiction, codependency, and how trauma actually plays a role in these issues. So Sherry Gaba, she is a licensed psychotherapist and a life coach, and she helps people cope with lifelong addictions. And she's born in California, and you might have seen Sherry on the VH1 docu-reality TV series, Celebrity Rehab. She's also been on other shows like Sober House and Celebrity Rehab. This is your go-to person. She's a leading expert on everything addiction, everything recovery, and she has worked for some of the top rehabilitation treatment centers. So I am so thrilled and so happy to have you on the show, Sherry, thank you so much for being here. Uh,
1: My pleasure, Andrea. You know, We just got to know each other a little bit before the interview, and you're just precious, adorable, and I'm just so happy to have a new friend and a new colleague. Yay. So
0: yeah. I would love it for you. Just, you know, what's going on in your life right now? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, my
1: biggest priority is spending time with my little Harper. She's my granddaughter. She's almost five. And I'm going to have a grandson in May. So that's my my big news. And I'm just I'm spending time, you know, launching my own podcast called The Love Fix, which I'm super excited about and talking about my book and my programs and just getting um, a lot of great information out there for people related to, uh, love addiction, codependency, and toxic relationships. I'm not doing as much with addiction. That was, um, something I was very, very involved in 10 years ago when I was doing the show. And then my first book, uh, infinite recovery had to do with addiction. I was married to an alcoholic and, The funny part about all of this is I was so focused on him on on so many levels, including my career, (laughs) including, you know, focused just you know so much on addiction. And then I realized, you know, this is really codependent. Like, yes, my, my first book was awesome. It took the law of attraction and applied it to addiction. And you know, people loved it, and the rehabs that I I, um, I taught a lot of groups, and I, I used the material, and it was great. And then I just realized I really want to talk about my journey and what I went through and to help people like myself that have loved an addict, alcoholic, and, um, you know, how it really brought me to my knees in terms of spiritual, emotional, uh, physical, mental, you know, bankruptcy, just loving somebody that um, was an alcoholic addict. So I really kind of morphed into more talking about love addiction, toxic relationships, and codependency.
0: Aww, and I really enjoy, and this is why our paths have crossed actually, because I really do enjoy that piece of your work that it's all about taking back your power so that influence mm-hmm. on you. And um, so that really resonates. And that's how our paths cross. As we know, I wrote the book, Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone yeah. with Addiction. And yeah, and that's what it's all about. It's not about the addicted loved one in your life. It's literally about how having the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. And that is what I love about your approach and and the approach that you would take when you're supporting people. And um, Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about that. So what exactly is love addiction? So
1: love addiction is a process addiction and you know you think of things like food addiction, binge eating, sex addiction, exercise, internet, gaming, shopping, spending, they're all, you can call them process addictions, you can call them lifestyle addictions, but it actually, it's, it's very similar to being addicted to a drug, it's, you're becoming addicted though to a mood altering activity rather than a drug. So it does the same thing. You have the cravings. And it really, you know, love addiction is really where your whole identity is based around that person, which can also be codependency. You know, I always say a love addict is usually a codependent as well. But a codependent can actually be addicted not to a partner, can be addicted to, to um, you know, a, not addicted, excuse me, they can be, um, you know, someone that is um, codependent in other areas of their life, such as their um, friendships or their work, you know, colleagues. But a love addict is definitely addicted to a person. Um, They're addicted to the whole romance, the ups and downs of that whole, you know, oh, the love, you know, and they they really feel like they need to be with someone to feel whole. They have a very um, empty void inside of them. And again, a codependent can too, but a love addict definitely, it's all about the other person. Um, when the breakup occurs, there's this um, withdrawal phase. They just, you know, they want to attach so badly to someone. They want those pleasurable feelings. Um, they, you know, of, of that lost relationship, almost like the drug user that wants their heroin fix. So um, it's really The signs and symptoms of a love act are over-adapting to what others want. Again, that can be a codependent as well, not having boundaries, you know, this excruciating fear of letting go, letting go of that person, because they don't want to be alone. You know, they go into complete panic when they're um, on their own, a fear of the unknown, Um, and then getting back to codependent traits as well, attempting to change others and needing others to feel whole, looking for others for affirmation fearing abandonment. A lot of love addicts, codependents have an anxious attachment type um, style and, you know, they just give up who they are out of fear that they're going to be alone or they're going to lose someone or they're going to lose somebody's approval. Um, And then I, of course, can go into what a codependent is specifically, but they really do have a lot of overlap.
0: Oh my gosh, it's so fascinating how you've made that parallel that when you are in a relationship and you're addicted to relationships, right? Or love addiction as you put it. Um it's so it's so interesting that there's so many parallels to actual addiction to other things. And um I think that's so fascinating and it's it's true. You hear about the serial dater, right? Like it's like it's like as soon as they break up with someone they're already on the dating sites and they're trying to, you know, find find someone else to date or like you know what I'm so worried to break say someone's maybe worried to break up with the person that they're with because in fear like oh my gosh I'm going to be alone so it's almost like they put up with so much abuse in a relationship or like turmoil that they are because they're afraid to you know be alone or they're afraid to enter the dating world or just so many unknowns so oh yeah I mean that's my story I
1: mean when I wrote my book Love Smacked I think You know, you're going to be. We're going to be talking about it, but it was really all about multiple relationships, going from one to the next, settling for less. Um, You know, it it definitely took its toll on my life, and you know, that's why I'm doing this work. Is I want people to know they don't have to settle, and it's never too late to change. You know, here I am in my early 60s, and I think I'm the healthiest that I've ever been. And it took me a while. I actually, you know, really, I got divorced in my early 50s, so it's. I've been pretty healthy for a while now, but it took me, you know, into my fifties to really understand that this is a, this is a disease like addiction. You know, I would, I just, you know, I had that emptiness that addicts talk about. and, And that really is what addiction is. It's this feeling of like being in the ethers of nothingness of emptiness, when you don't have an attachment to someone and, you know, there are reasons for it and we'll get into the trauma piece, but it's just getting rid of the shame and the blame. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just you know who you've been in the world, and and now it, you can change that. You can change those patterns.
0: Mm, so that that's really interesting. And I'm curious about how can you change those patterns? Like, well, first of all, I guess it's it's ice like noticing that you do have a pattern. Like, I know I've been basically divorced twice, and you know, and it's funny because after after my my last relationship, I definitely needed to take that time to heal and. And that's the fascinating thing that I love too about you, Sherry, is that you are using your expertise and your knowledge and your skills as well as your personal experience to help, to help others. And so I'm curious, how would people, like, what would the first step be to realizing that there might be a pattern
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right. First of all, just being on this podcast today, people are getting an understanding of what it is. So consciousness awareness is always the first step. Um, And then making a decision to change, you know, when the pain is great enough, you know, like when I divorced my alcoholic or up until that time. I was just a basket case. I mean, here I am a therapist. I work on the number one um, VH1 show on addiction. And here I, oh, and I ran a program at Promises Malibu, which was one of the celebrity Malibu treatment centers running the family program. And yet, you know, in my own house, I was really struggling. I, you know, my alcoholic ex was great. He was a wonderful, loving, he was great, but he had a very, very bad disease. And that's really what ultimately broke us up. And I just, you know, I lost myself. And that that really is what love addiction and codependency is. You lose parts of yourself really trying to save that person. And uh, I never want to be in that situation again. So it's really making a decision to change, Um, learning to stop looking for external solutions for problems. It's really an inside job. It's not about anything on the outside. It's really looking at your fears, what are you afraid of? Um, really looking at early trauma issues, which is really part of my story. I had early trauma, and that's what made me a love addict, really. And when I finally could put a label on it and I understood that it came from trauma, it, it took a lot of the shame um, out. Uh, moving out of denial, you know, we, we fall in love with an illusion of who we think somebody is, you know, instead of really who the person is. So that's very important. And denial is part of addiction, you know, addicts. They live in great denial. They don't want to accept that they're an alcoholic because like any addiction, if we accept that we have a problem then we have to give up our goodies, whether it's drugs or whether it's love or love with the wrong partner. So that's that's a huge piece. And then looking at the childhood trauma piece. Which was what I was talking about, and just really doing some self-centered self-parenting. Really look at your inner child, learning to come from an adult self rather than a child self. Because a lot of these um, acting out behaviors are really just our inner wounds, our, our wounds from from early on that we're we're rea- you know we're reacting instead of responding from those wounds. So really getting in touch with what those wounds are, um, becoming a loving, forgiving, compassionate person towards yourself and the person that you might have loved that had the addiction you know i i love my ex-husband but from afar you know it's you know i'm it's definitely from afar and when he's sober we're great friends. When he's not sober, he's blocked. I don't have anything to do with him, but I can do that now because we've been apart for nine years. So it's, it's very different when time passes. Um, in the beginning, sometimes you have to completely do no contact. Um, and you just use the pain to grow and you you use it to prepare for a healthy relationship. You trust in yourself. Um, And you learn to let go and you can get therapy, you can go to sex and love addict anonymous meetings, you can join my program, I have a wonderful program that I can talk about. But that those are the things I would do to move forward, you know, um, from a love addict situation.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. You raised so many amazing suggestions and points and things to think about. Um, The thing that stood out for me too, is in the beginning, you talked about essentially you lose yourself. You're caring so much for someone else and you end up losing yourself or you're like putting so much emphasis and focus on someone else that you end up, you know, destroying yourself essentially. Um, and, I, and I can totally relate to that one. So I'm wondering, and I'm curious, if we like we have dropped the idea and the term codependency a uh, numerous times. So I'm I'm sure that some people they like at first when I heard that word codependency um, when I was dealing with loving someone with an addiction, I remember feeling like a shame around. It. It's like no, I'm not dependent on that person. Like it's almost like it's like you you look at that word or you that there's something about that that term codependency that it doesn't feel comfortable. Um so maybe let's talk a little bit about that like in your what what would be your definition of codependency or how would you explain it
1: well, you know, it began like 30 odd years ago with Melody Beatty's book, who she actually endorsed my two books. She's a good friend and a colleague. I love her. Um, and she, she coined the word really, you know, being the partner of an addict alcoholic, enabling them, um, trying to control them, manipulate them, um, getting your self-worth from them, not feeling like you're anything without them. I mean, this is where it all began. I. I nowadays, you know, people don't like the word as much, you know, even I blog on psychology today and they won't even let me use the word codependent. So I I don't agree that there should be shame around the word because Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, there's a reason you got to that place. And usually it was some sort of trauma that you've been through. So I'm not ashamed of the word. I mean, I, it is what it is. Um, but yes, a lot of people that, they don't like the word because then they think, well, is there something wrong with loving an addict? Like what's wrong with me that I love an addict? There's nothing wrong with you that you love an addict. And in fact, you can stay with an addict if they're in a program or in their recovery, or you can stay with them if they're not. If you want to live like that way, if you can handle that, if you can love someone while you're married to them that has an addiction, I couldn't do that. But there's nothing to be ashamed of loving someone. I remember my, you know, I was in the a 12 step program at the time, um, Al-Anon. And I remember the grant sponsor said, you know, there's no shame in loving an addict or alcoholic. It's only when your life falls apart because of it, which is what happened for me, you know, PTSD, uh, you know, I started getting shingles. I had a staph infection. I was losing hair. I mean, all kinds of negative things from this hurricane that I was in with this addict. So, but Hey, if you want to, just like they say in AA, if you want to go out and drink, go ahead, you know, see what happens. I don't choose to be in a relationship with someone who is not in a recovery program. Um, And that's, that's my story. But you basically a codependent, you know, usually you come from some kind of dysfunctional home. You've had some kind of trauma in your life. Um, you receive very little nurturing yourself. So everything was really, um, about, um, you were invisible. So everything was other focused. You really, there was no, there was no attention being paid on you. And, and I can go into my trauma story in a bit, but you basically, um, everything was about everybody else around you. So of course you're like the perfect, person to marry or be in love with an addict alcoholic or narcissist because it's all about them. Um, you know, because we um, we're never able to change our parents into the warm caretakers we, we long for. So we respond deeply to that familiar type of person. And when someone's in their disease or they're a narcissist, they're completely emotionally unavailable. And that's like, hey, that's what I know. That's what's familiar to me. That's what I grew up with. Terrified of abandonment. That is my story. You know, you'll do anything to hold on to a relationship so you don't have to experience that excruciating pain of of being alone. Um, Nothing is too much trouble when you're a codependent. You know, nothing takes too much time. Nothing is too expensive. You'll do anything to help that person. Um, you're accustomed to lack of love in personal relationships. So you're willing to wait and hope and try and try and try to make things different than they are. You'll do anything to change them. Um, We'll take 50% of the responsibility and the guilt and the blame in a relationship. Um, Usually we have really low self-esteem deep inside. We believe we must earn the right to enjoy life. So we don't even, we don't even know that we are entitled to a, wonderful life. And we're desperate. We're desperate. We have a desperate need to control people. We had to control our little childhood. So then that just transferred into our adult relationships. Um, we didn't experience a lot of security. So we mask our efforts in controlling others and being helpful. I mean, I can go on and on, but I, I think you got it. <laughs> of what a codependent
0: is you're incredible yeah and it's a huge topic right and and it, it can start happening to you I find too in a very like innocent sort of way like you know even if you're dealing with a drug-induced narcissist focused on themselves and their their drugs and it's like you're trying to make them better so you feel better and so it's amazing how it's just just this downward spiral that before you know it you are catching yourself enabling the enabling and you catch yourself like caring so much about them and their health and what they're doing that you lose yourself in that process.
1: so it's, it's, a drug. it's a drug like the addiction like when my ex would call me and say oh I'm gonna die you know be in his car with all these vodka bottles and he couldn't drive and just was feeling like, Oh my God, my, my body is shutting down. Please come save me. And then you like go, Oh, okay. And you know, I get in my car and I drive and I'd see what I could do to help him. And Put him in a new rehab. And I I did this dance for a few years, you know, getting him in rehabs over and over again. And I just couldn't do it anymore. But it is, it's like a drug. It's an adrenaline high, really. And the reason you're doing this is because that's what you know. That's what you grew up with. This is your go-to is, you know, being on these ups and downs and ups and downs of the life with an addict or a narcissist.
0: And what comes up for me, too, while you're saying that is, like, the reason you're doing it, too, in that denial piece is that for me, it was like I was trying to get the person that I fell in love with a long time ago to come back. So it was yeah. like it's almost like you're doing everything you can to save the relationship you used to have and that this person no longer is even in front of you. They're an empty vessel of a human that they used to be. Yeah, yeah they are. So it's just incredible. Yeah. So it's that denial piece it's like well actually actions speak louder than words it's like i had to train myself to see what's actually happening right in front of my face um and and realize that you know what this this isn't the person i fell in love with if any if there was a fly on the wall watching this behavior happen like it it would be like you know abuse it would be like oh my gosh like i can't believe andrea you're tolerating this right so it's yeah. so interesting how, um, how that, I love how you brought that denial piece into it because I was denying actually the reality of the situation.
1: Yeah. What, what you're probably talking about is you might've had a trauma bond with your ex. I yeah. mean, I definitely had a trauma bond. We both had abandonment issues and we sort of found each other and then, um, also, a part of a trauma bond is that when when you first meet someone who has sort of an addictive personality or a narcissist, they really like, they just swarm over you. They love you. They give you all this attention. And it's it's really kind of toxic, really. But, you, but it, you think it feels so good because you're getting all this attention and this validation. And you just feel so wonderful because they want you. Well, and that's what you're searching for. Like when they're in their disease, you're like, I want that back. I want that, you know, original love bombing stage back, but you really don't because that really isn't the healthiest way for a relationship to start to be so intense. And that's pretty much when I met my ex, it was super, super intense. And, I mean, the universe showed me all kinds of signs, you know, do not go with this guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I remember this was back, you know, in 2001, there were phone booths. I had a cell phone. My cell phone died. I went to a phone booth to call him. And the phone booth, phone didn't work. And for any of you, phone booth is where you'd make a call when there weren't cell phones. But anyway, the phone booth, you know, that phone didn't work. My cell didn't work. and It was like the universe was saying, go away. Do not be with this person and, and many other signs. But, you know, you want that the goodies of what that felt like, like you were talking about. So anyway, if you're, if you know, I believe at this point in my life, slow and steady wins the race. I don't want anything really intense. I want something like baseline, you know, it's just something easy, breezy. Yeah. Even
0: keel. Even keel. Even keel. Even keel. <laughs> yeah. For sure. For sure. Okay. So we've talked a lot about trauma bonding, codependency, um, love addiction. And so I'm really curious, like how, Like a lot of the listeners might be thinking if they find themselves in this situation, it's like, well, how do we stop feeling responsible for others? Like, how do we do that?
1: Well, it goes back to, you know, probably the title of your book. I mean, it's it's putting the focus back on yourself and getting in a program, you know, getting to meetings, joining my program for, for codependence and toxic relationships and love addicts, getting support from others, you know, putting the focus back on yourself. You know, when there's enough pain, there will be gain. And that's really where it begins. It begins like what I was talking about earlier, just becoming conscious being on this podcast going oh wow I do have an issue here and and doing the work and doing some trauma work I um I had to look at my early trauma piece I was premature I was in an incubator I didn't get I wasn't touched I wasn't held I didn't bond with my mom for two and a half months I didn't meet her really. She didn't hold me for two and my first two and a half months of my life in this little earth. Um, I was fed through my feet. I had an oxygen mask. So I was just a love addict codependent waiting to happen because I just wanted those nurses to pick me up. I wanted anyone to pick me up. So, but be other trauma. There can be trauma. Like you could have been neglected. Your parents were addicts. You had a parent that might've been parentifying you, making you like a little adult way before your time. Having parents who are emotionally unavailable—I mean, there's all kinds of things—and I think the first step really is to to really work on that trauma piece, like what I did. I, I did some somatic work which is what I do with my clients now it's it's called somatic experiencing and it's getting people to get back in their bodies so that they can be okay with themselves so they don't need something on the outside to fill them up on the inside and and it's been a journey and um thank god I did the work because today I don't I wouldn't settle for anybody I know what I want um I know what I'm worth I have self-esteem um, and, and I think that, uh, you just got to work on that, that early trauma stuff. That's where it all began.
0: Oh, I love that. So tapping in and just like get some awareness, right. And going back into those, maybe those patterns, or even if you're not aware, it's just looking back to see what could have been a pattern for you or trauma that maybe plays a role, um, with, with codependency and maybe, uh, love addiction. Um, oh yeah. So we didn't talk. We didn't talk a little bit about. Let's talk about um, taking back your power. This is really your mission, and it's actually the mission also within my book. Um, so tell me a little bit, like what suggestions you have given? So many suggestions, but if there were like three things that people, you know, you would suggest for people to do almost right away to take back their power in situations like this, um, what would you suggest? Three steps, huh? Hmm. Well, the first step would be. Find a
1: a fellowship. Find a support group where you don't feel alone, because that's one of the things that you know. When we love someone who's an addict or narcissist, we feel very alone. So I would, first of all, find some kind of program that you feel safe in. Um, You know, read everything you can about uh, codependency and love addiction. You know, see where you you come in. I would buy my book. I'd buy your book, so you have a. (laughs) Understanding, and I don't mean to be salesy, but it does start with, you know, knowledge is power. So really understanding. um, And there's so much free stuff, too. If you just Google my name, I have zillions of articles out there. And then just really understanding if this is who I am. And then if you realize you do have early trauma, finding a really great therapist to work with who will help you with this trauma so that you no longer feel like you need something on the outside to feel good on the inside. I mean, that's really what I would do. Those are the three steps I would take.
0: Amazing. And it's interesting that you say, I love that you say that you're not like you're not alone. Don't feel alone in this. Reach out to community. There's other people that are going through what you're going through or something similar. Um, Absolutely. It's so true. And also, and knowledge. And I'm one of the things I, lo- I always say is we can struggle well. So it's like, even we can't pretend bad things don't happen, but we can struggle well through it. And one of the pieces to help us struggle well is, you know, gaining more knowledge and, and getting more educated about the subject and about, you know, learning about ourselves. And then I love that you say reaching out to, you know, Therapi- therapists or even life coaches and things like that to help you support and figure out, you know, cause it's like, I was going to say, like, I can't, trying to think back to a time that maybe did I have trauma in my past? that's causing me to like, you know, select a certain type of person. Um, But that's something you can't do yourself. You almost do need to reach out to like, you know, a psychotherapist or a therapist or a life coach or someone that can really help you. Um, You know, I always say the expression, you can't read the label when you're inside the jar. So it's almost like... Oh, that's funny. I love that. I never heard that. That's a good one. It's a wonderful way to kind of pull you out so you gain a different perspective. Oh, my gosh. So I know people want to get a hold of you, Sherry, and you have such a wealth of information and support. Um, So, where can they reach you and where can they find all your wonderful programs? Oh, thank you for giving me this platform to talk
1: about those things. Well, I have my book, Love Smacked. Uh, how to stop the cycle of, I have to read my second half of my title. Isn't that hysterical? (laughs) Because it's so long. How to stop the cycle of relationship addiction and codependency to find everlasting love. So that's on Amazon, Love Smacked. And then in your, I guess in your show notes, you can put the link to Wake Up Recovery. It's kind of a long link. Uh, Wake Up Recovery for Codependence, Toxic Relationships and Love Addicts. I actually have a special. It's a dollar to join. And um, that's for a week just to check it out. So you have nothing to lose. And that'll be, I guess, the link in your show notes. And that's where you're going to get the group support. I do two group coaching sessions a month. I've got all kinds of resources in there. It's, I've been doing this for about three and a half years. So it's just a treasure trove of resources for anybody struggling with codependency or love addiction or a toxic relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: those are the two things that I, you know, love to share with you. And thank you for putting the links in your show notes.
0: Yeah. And I'll also link, obviously, to all your social media as well as your uh, your website as well. So people can get a Right. Whole- and, and also,
1: if you want, I, can, I have a codependency quiz, so I can send you the link for that as well. Right. And people can take a quiz and see if they believe that they are codependent.
0: Amazing! Now, we are going to do a book giveaway as well. So I always support the authors that come on to my podcast. So All people have to do, I'm going to give away not one, two, but three copies of Sherry's book, Love Smacked. If you just take a screenshot of this episode and share it to your social, of course, tag me in it so that I know you've done that and you have entered yourself into a chance to win one of her copies. So we're going to do that as well. So I cannot thank you, Sherry, enough for being on the show your wisdom and knowledge
1: you are so welcome Andrea and thank you for what you're doing you are doing important work in the world and sharing great messages so thank you for having me yay
0: thank you for listening to this podcast if you want additional support you can head on over to my website at andreasidell.com where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone going through this struggle so that we can all work together to take back our lives and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but also week after week. I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes every single week so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs.